0: I want to pick up with uh, where we were last week. I felt like last week um, I didn't get as far as I wanted to get in what we were talking about. And if you were here last week, you remember that Pastor Clive had talked about on the Thursday of our fasting and prayer about shutting the door to 2023 and leaving things behind. And uh, as believers, you find out even with the Israelites coming out of Egypt that there was things that they had to leave behind. And that old saying is that, that God got them out of Egypt, but he could never get Egypt out of them. Their old way of thinking, their old way of believing, even their old way of, of worshiping their, their gods. And so there are seasons in our life and in our society, in Western society and in every society, where we come into something new and shutting the door on 2023 and saying, okay, that, that, I'm going to leave that behind. What was there in 2023 that was bad? That you need to cut off and say, I'm not going to be ruled by that anymore. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be um, guided by the mistakes that I made last year. Thank God. Paul said in Philippians 3.13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. And so we talked a little bit about that. You can't bring the old into the new. You have to leave the old there and move on. And it's not just bad things, but it's also good things. You know, something great that happened last year, we remember it, we rejoice in it, but you can't sit back and rest on your laurels and go, well, wasn't that nice? Well, that was good, you know. I sure hope God does that again. You ever notice that God doesn't like to do it again? He likes to do it different when he does it again. And we expect him to do things the same way. But I've just found out that he doesn't usually answer the question how. How are you gonna do it this time? And the reason he doesn't is because he wants us to walk by faith. Let me say something. If you can keep the devil in the arena of faith, you can beat him every time. As soon as the devil gets you over into the arena of the mind and the thinking realm, he'll beat you every time. But, and I asked the Lord that years ago, I said, so why is faith so important? Like what? We just have to believe, and he said, because when you're believing, neither you nor the devil know how it's gonna happen. Oh, okay, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but I don't have to know how it's gonna happen. It's like getting on a plane and and flying somewhere to the other side of the world. You know, I came back from from, uh, Moncton on this WestJet 787 or 777 or something. Anyways, everything's electronic, right? Like all the stuff is, a, you, just, you touch this and, and your, your window blind, blinds, like it gets darker. I remember trying to figure this stupid thing out. How does this even work? And then I, the, the stewardess just said, touch that right there. You go into the bathroom and in the bathroom you wave your hand over it and the toilet flushes. On an airplane, I'm like, oh my goodness. But here's what's the neat thing. You don't have to know how it works, but it still works when you wave your hand over it. Same thing is true with walking by faith. You and I don't have to know how is this actually going to work. When you walk by faith, God will make it. You just wave your hand and God will make sure that it, that it works out that way. And so sometimes we, we try too hard. So, so leaving that which is behind and shutting the door on it. We finished up last week, and this is what I didn't get to as much as I wanted, talking about what gives us the vision and the strength to reach for what's ahead. Because it's one thing just to cut something off, but if you don't have something else that's propelling you forward, then you're, you're, by default, you're gonna keep turning around. You're gonna keep looking back. You're gonna be thinking, whether it was a good thing or a bad thing, it's, just, it's like carrying the baggage into the new. And I shared with you for a few minutes at the end last week that what helps us to do that is purpose. If you've got a purpose... What was it that drove Paul to go ahead? He said, I press towards the prize for the mark of the high calling. In other words, all this stuff that's happened to me is wonderful, but I know there's a bigger prize. I know there's more that I can do. Do you know the Bible says that for believers, when we go to heaven, stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it says that we will be judged according to works done in the flesh. We don't hear very much about that, do we? About good works because we know we're saved, we know that we've, you know, been bought with the blood, we've been born again. Hell is not our home. We don't have to worry about the fact that, well, when I die, am I going to make it? If you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, just like Alex talked about, everything changes, but it changes from the inside out. God goes first to your spirit, rebirths your spirit, and that spirit, if you walk outside and freeze to death between here and the bus stop, you go to heaven. You can only preach that kind of thing in January. You can't, can't say it in June. I shared with you my own story of discovering that I wanted to tell people what I was learning in the Bible right from the start. Like right when I first came back to the Lord at 19, I just thought, I gotta tell people, I gotta tell people. I didn't know that it was a call from God. But now listen to this progression, and you can apply it to your own life because this progression works for anybody. As I did things to improve my ability to do that, tell people about what the Bible says, going to Bible school, volunteering at church, teaching a Bible study, not only did I get better at teaching, but the calling became clearer over the years. So because I was walking into it, because I was doing, there was parts of it that became clearer that had not been there before for me. And that process of pursuing the purpose, my purpose, would work the same for any of us pursuing that which God has called. You found that out about God? I found this out a long time ago. Usually, he'll show you what's the very next step, and he'll show you the big picture, way down the road there. So I saw this picture of myself when I first was, was uh, I was still in Europe, I was still going, I had like three months back in the, the, you know, the church there in the presence of the Lord, and I was just d- praying one day and doing this, and I saw myself teaching, preaching in a stadium. And I thought, oh, cool. Just a few years from now, I'll go to Bible school and I'm preaching in stadiums. And the Lord was probably showing me what's happening at the end of my life. There's been a couple of times we've done stadium events, but but it was interesting because he showed me what was at the very end. But you notice he usually doesn't show you three or four steps out because he wants you to walk by faith in the next step that he gives you and then the next step that he gives you. As you and I do that, and of course I'm talking about purpose, I'm talking about what are you here for? What are you on earth for? As you begin to do that, then that purpose begins to open and more things begin to be revealed about what your purpose is and what does it look like. Now, go with me to Matthew chapter 16. And I wanna make a a connection here between purpose and identity. Because identity produces purpose. Matthew 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, that's what Bar means, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Another Bible says in the heavenlies. So we're dealing with the spiritual realm is what Jesus was saying there. Verse 20. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now, there's so many things can be drawn out of this passage. But let's, let's, let's stick with a couple of things here. Jesus asked the disciples what people are saying about him and about who he is. Remember that Jesus wanted his own disciples to know who he was. I was thinking about um, at, at the Last Supper where you know Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you see these things throughout his ministry. He's talking to the Pharisees and they pick up stones to stone him. And he said, for which of these good works do you want to stone me? And they said, not, that, not for your good works, but that you make yourself out to be the Son of God. So Jesus obviously was doing enough in his own ministry that he wanted the boys to know, this is who I am, right? He wanted his followers to know, his disciples to know, I'm the son of God. So they said to him, well, this is what people are saying about you. Some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and so forth. And Jesus goes, what do you think? And I love Peter here. Peter says, you're the son of God. I'm reading this one time, and and we don't don't realize how radical this was. At this point in history, no one knew God had a son. You and I read it 2,000 years later, oh yeah, you're the son of God, because we've been raised with that in church. We've been raised, we've got the New Testament, we've got the Bible, and so we read, oh yeah, the son of God. At this point, God was one. That's why the Jews wanted to kill him because you make yourself the son of god making yourself equal with god because they say the son as he grows up becomes equal to the father right in jewish culture that you making your, that you a man make yourself out to be god making yourself equal with god nobody at this point knew that god had a son as a matter of fact nobody at this point knew that god was a trinity so when peter said you're the son of god this was this was absolute rebellion, in a sense, from Judaism at that point. Because he's saying something that, that nobody would ever even conceived of, that God has a son that is part of him, but uniquely distinct from him. They didn't even know God was a trinity, as I said. What they thought, I think there's two mentions, if I got it right, there's two mentions of Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. David said, take not your spirit from me. But what that, in the, in the, in the, the mindset, of those people in the Old Testament, that spirit was an expression of who God is, just like you would share your, your spirit with someone, you know, that you would, you would share who you are and, and you would tell them things. And So there was this expression, but to say that the Holy Spirit was a unique and distinctly different person than God, and yet still be one with him, was almost blasphemy. So when, when Peter said that, you're the son of God, you're the Christ, the son of God, in the Jewish mind at that point, it would have been blasphemy. So, so this thought is so radical, and Jesus jumps on it. And you guys know this. He, he's not building his church on Peter. Some churches believe Peter's the one God, that Jesus built the church on. No, Peter, Peter's dead, and he's, he's experiencing his reward in heaven right now. But it was the revelation that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. It was the revelation that got inside of Peter where he thought, oh my goodness, you're the one. Now, he couldn't be born again yet because Jesus hadn't died and paid the price yet. But Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, the Father himself showed you. And then he goes, boom, 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 boom. And he lists all these things that are going to happen as a result of Peter seeing something. Something was birthed inside of Peter that Jesus said, you're, in my own words, you're basically, you've basically just stepped into something that's going to change your life forever from now on. That revelation. Now, It was Peter's revelation of Jesus that brought the beginning of Peter's revelation about himself. Identity and purpose cannot be separated. Follow my thinking. Our revelation of Jesus is directly tied to the knowledge of who we are. I want you to see this progress here a little bit. And it's the awareness of who I am in Christ that progressively reveals purpose. Let me say it again it's the awareness of who I am in Christ that progressively reveals purpose, just like I said, about feeling that call to talk to people, just tell people about it, and then giving place to that and trying to get better at it. And as I did that, there was a progressive revelation of the kind of thing that God had called me to do, which is what I'm doing right now and doing as a pastor. But the very same thing applies to every single person in this room, And I gave you this sentence last week. When we get born again for the first time, we begin to understand that our existence is a product of divine intentionality. When we get born again, we begin to understand that our existence is a product of divine intentionality. You can't separate identity and purpose. So when I got born again, same with you, there there becomes, whether you get it right away or it comes slowly, there's an awareness. I'm here for a reason. I didn't come from a, 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 a sea of goo where I developed as a single organism and then went through that process. I'm not a product of evolution. I am a product of a divine mind who created me and put me on the earth. As soon as you embrace that thought, when you get born again, all of a sudden there's an awareness, well, what am I here for? If he put me here, what am I here for? It's that question right there that too many Christians pursue for a short period of time and then the pressures of life come in and crowd that question out again as we get back to work and to kids and to bills and to payments and to all those things and we forfeit the blessing of the calling that's waiting there on the inside to be birthed and that calling brings joy walking in the purpose of God when you're walking in the purpose of what God's called you there's a joy that comes with that because you feel fulfillment fulfillment doesn't come from all these outside things even as Alex said there this morning doing all those other things trying to find it what did Billy Graham say that on the inside of every one of us there's a God-shaped vacuum that is never satisfied until Jesus comes and fills that thing so we try and pull things from the outside to create that fulfillment, and we even do it as Christians. I'm talking to all of us here. Not just y'all, I'm talking to myself. There's things that, you know, over the course of the years that, that you think, ah, oh, what about this? And God brings us back to what's inside. My, uh, I learned about purpose the hard way. My dad was a carpenter. And we had shelves of tools in the in the downstairs area where the furnace room was. Literally, we had a wall probably 10 feet wide. All it was was shelves with tools. And um, so I remember, you know, I'd get those tools. But but that every every year at Christmas time, we'd have Japanese oranges come in a wooden box. Any of you remember that when we got the Jap oranges at Christmas time and they came in the wooden box, right? So I was the youngest one so I always got the box because I wanna build something with the box, right? So I would take the box and I would pull it apart and it had these little staples in it and we had needle nose pliers so I'd be pulling those things out. And uh, we had finishing nails, little nails, probably only half an inch, just teeny wee little nails. And uh, so I'd pull this thing apart and I thought, what am I gonna build? I'll build a plane or I'll build something like that, you know, because it was cool. And um, so I remember one time, one year, I couldn't find dad's hammer. So whether it was somewhere else and, and, and I, so I reached into them and I was looking around, I thought, well, what can I pound with? And I found a screwdriver, about that long. And it had a, a tough, looked like a ceramic, molded ceramic now I would call it, um, handle. And I felt that, I thought that thing's good and tough, that'll work. So I took that little screwdriver and, and uh, I started to build my little airplane, taking those little nails and I'm holding on to the narrow end of the screwdriver and I'm pounding the nails in with the hammer, with the, pardon me, with the handle. And then about halfway through, you know, I was moving things around. I reached over and grabbed the screwdriver and picked it up. And I noticed there's all these little dent marks in the side of that thing. And I thought, because dad said you only use a tool for what it's made for, boy. And I thought, oh, I am in a heap of trouble here. And so... Uh, I put that screwdriver, I don't even think I finished the project, but I put it back underneath everything else in the box where the other things were. Smart boy, you know, considering my future. And uh, dad, I don't know whether an angel told him you need to go and dig out that screwdriver. Anyways, there was some time in the next few weeks where he says, uh, he says uh, you, got the, you use one of my screwdrivers for something? I said, what do you mean, dad? <laughs> He goes, how come there's all these? And he probably already knew, right? Because he can tell that at the end of that. He said, how come there's all these little things? He was trying to get a confession out of me, and, and, and I, I knew I was caught, right? It was like, the problem with getting caught is you get the board of education to the seat of learning. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah. And, and so I got, I got a few swats for that one. But from that day on, if I didn't find the tool for the right purpose, I never used it. I had to find the right tool. It's the same thing with us. God's created you and I to do a specific purpose. Have you ever spent the time to say, what about this, Lord? What am I here for? And here's the thing. You can be working a job over here and fulfilling your purpose over here when your purpose has nothing to do with your job. And I'll, I'll come back to that here in a couple of minutes because I want to I help you with something and then we're going to give you something at the end that you can um, use to help do this. Some people spend their whole life working to establish their identity. Get out of high school, went to university, went to medical school, did my practicing. Now I'm a doctor. You know what? I've met people with PhDs that are so insecure that you can hardly talk to them. And it was a learning process for me to realize that some people who've, who've spent their whole life, and here's the danger, if you're insecure and you go ahead and get all the way through to get your, your doctor, to, you know, your, your PhD or your MD, and, and, and you're, if you're insecure and you don't let the Spirit of the Lord deal with that on the inside, the doctor's epaulets that you have on the outside won't make you secure on the inside but we put up a front so that everybody treats us like dr so-and-so and and on the inside we're terribly afraid that they'll actually find out i'm really not all that confident in my own life in my own marriage in my own child raising i'm really not that and it it just was interesting to me because over the years you watch what 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 do people embrace from the outside to make them look acceptable to everybody else well on the inside There's one guy that I knew uh, years ago um, that came here and a a very influential person. And uh, we enjoyed a a friendship with them for a period of time. And then something happened in their life and I had to confront him on it. And when I said to him, I said, look, here's what's going on. And I know about it. And I said, "We we need to connect on this. So I said, let's go for coffee. Let's talk. Because, you know, like any of us, as a pastor, your, your, your hope is always for restoration. Right? We all blow it. We all sin. We all, we, th- those things happen to all of us. There's things that we've missed and things that we've done. But, but the hope is always reconciliation and restoration. Can we work through the process, you know? And here's what, what this, was, this surprised me. Because I thought the degree of our friendship was deep enough that, that he would go for coffee. He refused to go for coffee. Wouldn't even go for coffee, and I'd send him a little text, and I'd go, "Bro, come on, let's let's go, just go for coffee. Let's just talk about this. Let's talk about it." I found out after about two months, they'd put their house up for sale, and then I found out they moved to the U.S. He would never talk to me, not one time. He would never talk to me about the issue. And I was, trying to, I was trying to figure that out. And I got a couple of, of texts back about, well, you know, this happened and it was so bad. And this has just been a terrible season in our life and all this. And I, 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 I was like, okay, he's avoiding this. But he's also saying it's not my fault. It was all these circumstances. And so I just typed into my computer, what are the characteristics of a victim mentality? And it just went, and it listed all these things that, and I thought oh because I'd never run into a prominent victim mentality before never run into so, so that and what I wanted was for us to sit down and go here's the deal and him go you know what it, it is the deal and I'm sorry and I don't really know how to get out of this and, and you know and then I well let's, let's find out how we can is there somebody that's a good counselor that's a specialist in this kind of thing can we talk about that you know, let, 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 let me help you. Like, but, but the problem was he was not able to accept I did the bad thing. He was not able to accept because it's never my fault. It's because of what's happened in my life. It's because of this and it's because of that. Well, how is God ever going to help somebody with that mentality if they don't acknowledge, you know what, I really blew that. I mean, he blew it in his marriage. He, like, as bad as you can blow it in your marriage, that's how bad it was. So I'm not exaggerating. And he refused to acknowledge it. What well, wasn't my fault. It was a weak moment. And then we found out later that it had happened a number of times. And I remember thinking, God, this guy is a great guy. And he's got great influence. He's a very charismatic type of a personality. And like I said, fairly well known, you know? And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because the facade that he created was this is what I want everybody to know me by, whereas behind it is this little guy that's scared that there's something that got hurt and nobody can ever really see what I'm like, and if they see that I've, I've blown it and I've made a mistake, they'll hate me and they won't love me anymore, and that can't happen, so I shut the door on that. Now, I'm talking about identity and purpose. So if that identity is hidden away in there, the real person is hidden away, how are you ever gonna find your purpose? Because you don't even know what you are, right? So you watch this process happen Only our walk with Jesus can establish in our hearts who we really are. One of the things that I've noticed, we all have probably noticed over the last several years, the younger generation wants something from the older generation and they want it from each other. They want authenticity. You heard that word enough? I I remember watching this when the programs came out that. Showed people's mistakes, like Survivor or something. They were supposed to be real. It was supposed to be the real program. When we were doing TV um, in the '90s and early 2000s, everything was scripted. Everything was perfect. You didn't make any mistakes. You never, you never made a mistake on when you're on camera. You, you know, if you made a mistake, it was cut. Okay, let's do that line again. Can you back up to such and such? So, 10 years of TV was doing that, and I learned how much of smoke and mirrors that happens behind the scenes. And it was interesting to me to watch the authenticness of things coming out where news anchors were much more amiable than they were, and they would actually tell a joke, you know? Or one guy would say something, and the other guy would jump on it, and you could tell it was spontaneous. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Because people are, instead of living behind this facade of the wonderful, perfect newscaster... They're actually making mistakes, but because of the mentality of society, they're allowing those mistakes because it shows the people watching, oh, they're real. So you know what I'm talking about? That trend towards reality, reality TV. Let me tell you something. The agendas on reality TV are all fairly well-guided. I've talked to people who were, have been on reality TV, and they said, yeah, they just don't, don't, don't talk about that topic like that. Talk about it like this. We want you to come from this perspective because of what it creates in the minds of the viewers, right? You can't have a good program without having a protagonist and an antagonist. There has to be positive and negative. Well, somebody's got to be the jerk. I don't know. I don't, maybe you watch reality programs. I watched a couple of them for maybe one of them off and on for about the first six months and then because I knew too much about TV, I just said that part right there is scripted. That was, He was set up and told to do that. I wonder how much they're paying him to be the jerk. Right? But my point is this, that, that we're after authenticity. Well, the only thing that makes us authentically us is Jesus. So listen to this. To the degree that we are inauthentic, we will continually strive for a sense of meaning or a sense of purpose. So what what's the image that you live behind? When you come to church? I always think it's funny because when everybody comes into church, everyone's wonderful. Halos are shining. Everybody smiles. <laughs> and I've, walked, I've looked out the window sometimes and seen people in the car. But as soon as they get out of the car, they're like, Jesus was with us in the car today. I'm like, Yeah, he wasn't the only one in that car today. <laughs> Here's the danger. Listen to this. Here's the danger of identifying myself with anything from the outside. If I'm going to produce an image of anything from the outside that will never go down to the core of who I am because I'm putting on someone else's culture. Remember Adam and Eve? Remember the fig leaves? I said it before, that fig leaves were the first example of culture. They clothed themselves with something that identified who they were now. We're naked, we need to put something on to cover our nakedness. And it wasn't just the fact that they were physically naked, it was that the glory had departed and their spirits died that moment. So all of a sudden they're clothing themselves. So listen to this. What are you covering yourself with? Your job? I'm a lawyer. Everybody treats me the way I should be treated, I'm a lawyer. Except when you come to church and start worshiping and Jesus goes, so lawyer boy, where's your worship? Because lawyers don't worship, people do. Are you here? See, if you come in with an image, Holy Spirit will always challenge that image. Yes. He will always challenge what you've put up. I know, because he's done it with me so many times. How about this one? What are you covering yourself with? Your good looks? If I wear the right clothes, everybody'll know how good of shape I'm in. How about your schooling? Well, I've got three degrees. How about your nice house? How about your fancy car? How about your, this one switching. Well, I'm poor, just please help me. You just wear, some people wear that through life. Well, I'm just poor. I just need everybody to help me. So no matter what happens, they're always, here's my, I just need you to help me. I just need you to, and, and what's, what are you hiding behind? Because there's a person underneath all of that that's, why, are you, why do you keep going that way? Why don't you go, wait a minute, I'm gonna help myself here. Why don't you stand up? Only Jesus can make that change on the inside to make that happen. For the believer, this right here is the answer to the whole gender thing. My identity in Christ will come from the inside and pull out of me those things which God, I, there might be a part of my soul because of things that have happened because lack of a father image because of the devil's attack because of things that have happened i was abused as a kid those things get lodged in the soul and so the soul reaches out to identify with something that then if i can be like that person i can be okay i can put on makeup and i can wear different clothes and if i do that i'll real but that's not the real identity of the spirit of the person down inside because god doesn't put a female spirit in a male body and vice versa. So who you are in Christ is the answer to gender-fluid thoughts. And if you're a young person and you're in here right now and you're struggling with gender-fluid thoughts that I wished I was a guy, I wished as a... You go before the Lord and say, in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to reveal my sonship. I'm asking you to reveal because... There's so many things I could say. I'm asking you to reveal... Who you are in me. I found this out years ago. The more you become like Jesus, the more He makes you who you truly are. The more you're connected and blended with Him, the more distinctly unique you become. Think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They're completely blended. The the Bible says that they blend into one on the throne, that the Father and the Son blend and the Holy Spirit blend, and yet they're completely separate in their own identities. And the very same thing is true with us, that as my awareness of, of you're in me, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm a son of God. I'm a son of the Most High God. You created me. I want to know that more. I want to know you more. I want to know. Praying in tongues will will really help with this. But as you do that, your own uniqueness begins to become more and more. And I'm telling you this, it will just push out over time. It'll just push out any gender uncertain thoughts at all. It'll just push it out. You won't even have to try and bind it or overcome it or anything. It's like turning up the stove. If there's flies on the stove and you turn the stove up, you don't have to shoo the flies away. They either fry or die it gets too hot, they fly away. It's the same thing with our identity. As you become who you are in Christ, as you just simply pursue, you come to church, you worship, you hear the word, you go home, you listen to things, you pray in the spirit, you just do the spiritual stuff. Your spirit just goes, <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> and it just gets bigger, and it pushes out the garbage in the soul that's going, oh, you need to do this. Well, if you only looked like this. Well, if you only had this degree. It's not about having it. I've known really intelligent people who are spiritual dunces. They're so smart that they keep reasoning themselves out of the blessings of God. I've talked to them. Like, man, this guy's got two PhDs and he's a bonehead. Because intelligence doesn't bring you closer to Jesus. Aren't you glad? That lets us all in. Hallelujah. My identity as a child of God can easily supersede any other way I could identify myself. I've had the Lord deal with me on this several times, basically to helping me to find out how much of my identity I've built on my job as a pastor. So what? The church does well, I do well. Yeah, look at my church. Woo boy, she's got a... now you'd never say it like that because we're Christians and we're not allowed. But we think it, don't we? Yeah, look at, look at my business. Yeah, business I built, yeah. That's all wonderful, but the Lord comes after that and goes, oh, so is that where your identity is? I'm gonna help you with that. <laughs> and over the next year and a half, your business goes down the tubes. And it's not until your business goes down the tubes, if you're identifying yourself by your business, that you find out, oh my goodness, why am I so upset right now? Why am I depressed right now? Why? Because I've failed. You know one of the neatest things about being a son of God when you know that you're a child of God? You're free to fail. You're free to fail. I'm a child of God. Whoa, that was a mess. Lord, can you clean my, uh, my dirty diaper? Because like, whoa, that's like bad news. I'm really sorry. Okay, what do you want to do now? Like a little child. I remember years ago, one of my children who will remain unnamed... did something, and he knew he wasn't supposed to do it, and I had to give him a spanking. And so with our kids, we always did the same thing. It was, you know, bring them. You spank first. You don't do any of the other stuff first, because if you're like, you know well we're going to do a prayer of repentance, and we're going to do all that. If you do all that first, they don't hear anything. All they're thinking about is I'm going to get a spanking, and so, you know. And um, so I would spank them, and then I put them up on my lap, and I said, now you need to ask God to forgive you, and you need to ask me to forgive you because I'm your parent, and I'm the authority of God, and you need to ask me to forgive you. And they're just little, you know, not like two or anything, but old enough that they get it, um, and somebody spanked their kid at one years of age, and I was like, yeah, no, you missed the whole purpose there. They're not old enough yet, and so sat, sat the child on my knee, and, and yep, and they learned this. Yep, dad, I ask you to forgive me, for not obeying you. And I said, I forgive you, sweetie. And now you need need to ask God. And so then they pray, God, and it was the neatest thing in the world. As soon as they'd start to go, and Father, Father God, I ask you to free me, almost without fail, tears would come. I remember sitting there watching that and thinking, there's the power right there as they go before the Father the power of the heart that says, I've done wrong, I ask your forgiveness, and that expression of, I'm really sorry, coming out. And I watched it I watched it hundreds and hundreds of times over the years. So anyways, I do that, and, um, and you need to ask God. Yeah, I ask God, forgive me, and then I'd pray, and just pray, Lord, whatever it was, and bless him, da-da, da-da, da-da. And I remember the one time, and then I, I set the child down, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, they just got spanked, and they just had to go through repentance and forgiveness. So it's kind of like walk out of the room, kind of like, wow, you know. And my son turns and looks at me and goes, okay, uh, can we go outside and play a catch? I remember saying, and I'm still on the bed. I'm still dealing with it, right? And my kid says, can we go outside and play catch? And I remember thinking, and then it clicked. He's over it. He knew it was wrong, he got the punishment, he got the forgiveness, now we're good to go. And I thought to myself, that's what you want us to do. God, oh, I'm sorry, I blew it, oh man. I got a spanking, yeah, I got fired or the business fell apart or whatever. Um, I ask you to forgive me and thank you for forgiving me. And uh, can we go play now? You laugh, but that's actually what God wants us to do. We're we're, we're supposed to be sorry for the sin, but we're not supposed to just dwell in it and let it bum you out for the next two weeks. That's why we're cutting off last year. Cut that garbage off and say, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going this way now. Oh, I got to finish. So here's two questions to consider as we come into the new year. Number one, the big one, what's my purpose? What is my purpose? And number two, how am I walking that out at this point? Because what I want to do, see, when I say what's my purpose, then we go, whoa, whoo, hmm. Well, oh, gosh, that's a big. And we're going to give you a a handout here at the end. Well, you can pick them up at Heaven's Download. So that's a bit, that, that's, that one's almost too big. But, but, but the, the next question was, how am I walking that out at this point? And let me give you a clue. Let me give you something that I've used. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. How do you find your purpose? What's your gift? What do you have that you can give away? Let me list some things here. Money, time, kind words, some of you are great with kind words. Some of you are so positive. It's like you're just wonderful. It doesn't matter. It, it, your life might be going through hell, but when you come in here, you're like a wonderful person. Be a greeter for heaven's sake. Like, give, give that gift of kind words away, give that gift of positive attitude, give it away. Don't just hold it in. Interestingly enough, if that's your gift, then the enemy will fight you in that area to try and get you depressed so you can't give those words away. Right. How about this one, intelligence? I've talked to some people that are, that are smart, I'm like, I go to them and I say, I'm, I've got da-da, 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 what do you think about this? Oh, well, here's what usually works, and when I did that, I blah, 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 and they tell me, because right, they're intelligent, they've been through a lot of stuff. There's a couple of pastors that are about 10, 15 years older than me that I'll ask questions to and say, what did you guys do when you were, well, here's your options. And here's the, so do you have intelligence? What about skills? Have you got skills you can give away? Have you got something? See, when you give something away, you don't get anything in return except the blessing of finding out your purpose. Because you're giving something away that others get blessed by, but you're doing something that you enjoy doing. That's why the Bible says it's better to give than receive, yeah. right? You feel so much better afterwards. Why? Because you're giving something away. How about this one? Your connections to others. That was a different one, and I thought about that. That, that I've had uh, gone to people and I've said, um, I, "I got this issue going on." Da 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 da. You know what? I know a guy that can probably help you with that. And they have connections. Some people are just connectors. They connect like it's, do you have that? And I'm being random here because I can't can't share the whole spectrum of all the things that could be possibly uh, out here, but you've got to answer, how about this one? Prayer. I give my prayer away. You know what these guys do that come up at the altar at the end? They don't get paid for this. they got to stay for the services. It takes extra time. they got to go through training. But they're doing this because they want to pray for people. What are they doing? They're giving the gift of what they have away to you when you go through a hard time and want to get prayer. Thank God we have prayers that will pray. What is it? It's a gift they're giving away. How about this one? Humor. Are you funny? Some of you are. I know, because we get talking and I start laughing. You know? Man, some of you could talk the wool right off a sheep. It's just like, it's something (laughs) else, man. Just, and some people are funny people. Well, if you're funny, give that away. I find when I get with serious people, I get funny. Because I'm like, lighten up, people. Jesus is still on the throne. That thud you heard last night was not him falling off. (laughs) Stand up with me. You know uh, Alan and Anne Marie that run uh, Times and Seasons? Yes. So Alan is actually a consultant, he's semi-retired now. Um, but Alan met with our staff several years ago and he asked each of our staff members this. He, he met with each of the offices because we there was too much um, dysfunction in the staff with things and tasks and who was doing what. And I said, would you come in and take a look at our staff and, and work things out to try and, and get us to be more effective and more efficient. He asked every one of our staff this question. What's your purpose here in this ministry? And they had to, they had to write down and define their purpose. To, to my wife and I, he said this. What is the purpose of this church? It took us over three weeks after pastoring the church for what? At that point, 20, 23 years it took us three weeks to sit down and say, what is the purpose of Southside Victory Church? In one sentence. Not to write a paragraph. He said it's got to be in one sentence so when somebody comes walking in, you can share with them. They go, so what, what do you guys do here? What's, uh, like what, you know, what kind of church is this? Well, the purpose of this church is, and it took us three weeks to, to, to work it through. And we came to this. The purpose of Southside Victory Church is releasing life and destiny through the power of his presence. So the power of the presence releases life in people's hearts when they come in and they yield or they listen to the teaching or they get involved in a Bible study that the core, the nuclear cell that, that, that empowers everything else here is the presence. Well, if it releases life, it brings life and joy. And if it releases destiny, it releases purpose because destiny and purpose are tied so close together. And then he asked each of us to create our own personal purpose statement. Took me over two weeks. Dear God, I was 55. And I'm like, it took me two weeks to to write down my life's purpose. So I would write something down and then two of those words would make sense and and I'd be like, man, that's not it. And finally I put these things down and this was what I wrote for my life purpose statement. To bring the joy of God's spirit and the light of his truth. And when I finally whittled it down, and I thought, no, that's not, that's not right. I wanna bring the light of his truth first, because that's more important, because I'm a pastor, and I bring the light of your truth. And so I wrote it down that way, to bring the light of his truth and the joy, and I was like, that's, that's, that's not it. Now, whether it was the Lord or me, and I finally, I went, God, Bringing the light of your truth is way more important than bringing joy, like joy. We can go to a movie and get joy. But I finally wrote that thing out and, and, I, and I didn't say to bring the joy of the Holy Spirit. I said, Lord, why, am I, why is it this? To bring the joy of God's spirit. And you know what's happened? I've gone places like the coffee shop, Starbucks or someplace, and I'm supposed to bring the joy Of God's spirit. And I've had people say to me, God's happy? Because they don't picture him that way. And I'm like, oh yeah, he's a lot of fun. So that's something that doesn't just happen here. It happens out there. Why? Because it's my purpose. We've got a little form out there. And I don't know how many we have left. But this little life purpose statement just has five little things there of questions that you would ask yourself to try and find the purpose. All of our staff went through this, all of our departments, everybody that was a leader went through this because we wanted to try and get the functionality of who and what we were up to another level. And it clarified a lot of things. These are available out there at Heaven's Download. Just one per family, okay? Because we didn't make 700 of them. So if you want to pick one up on the way out, we, 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 most, the first service took most of them, but we made more copies. But if you want more than one, then take one home. And most of us have printers at home now and just print up another one. But as we enter into this year, 2024, let's find out. What are you here for? What's your gift? Because if you can identify that, you'll start moving in it. And then you'll move and then you'll move in it and you'll move and you'll move and you'll move and you'll move and 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 as that happens, the whole identity of the church of who we are in Christ gets bigger. And when that starts to happen, God starts to pour his spirit out because everybody's walking in what they're supposed to walk in. And I'll tell you this, the days are coming when we'll come together in here and the presence and the glory of the Lord will be so strong, we'll just worship for three hours and then come back from heaven and wander home. That's where these things are going. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your blessing. And thank you for purpose. Father, our prayer is as we move into this year that we leave behind those things, but we reach forward with the purpose that says, this is the way, walk in it. This is what I can do. I can give this gift away. And, it, and I can bless others with it. Whatever that gift is. I pray that you would help us As we move into 2024, to define that purpose more and more clearly in order for us to walk in the identity that you've called us to, to be a blessing to this world that so desperately needs an identity. I pray over you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer this morning, we got some prayers. Remember, go to the website, business people, sign up for this AI thing and and let's get ahead of the curve. Have a warm week. Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us online today. We hope you enjoyed the service. If you'd like more information about Southside Victory Church, download our app from the App Store, follow us on social media, or check out our website at svcf.ca. If you'd like to hear more from Pastor Craig, you can check out www.timesofrefreshing.com or follow Times of Refreshing on social media to see if he's speaking in a city near you. You can connect with the church anytime, give us a phone call or send us an email. Thanks again for joining us in building a community of believers together. We'll see you next week.